Let's pray before we get into um, our passage tonight and ask the Holy Spirit to come speak to us. Lord, we, uh, we come before you right now and we still our hearts before you. And Jesus, it's so easy to come into a room like this and just get lost in conversations with people, in the fun and in the noise. But Jesus, we, we settle our hearts right now before you because we want to hear from you. And um, we want you to speak to us as your people. Jesus, I pray for the person in the room who doesn't know you. Um, Lord, that you would reveal yourself to them as the God of love and grace and mercy. Um, Jesus, thank you for this series, everything that we've talked about. I pray that your name would be lifted high tonight. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So <clears throat> I want to pose a question to you. And it's a very simple question. Where are you at with Jesus? Where are you at with Jesus? Um, we've looked this whole series from six weeks ago, Shannon Butler talking about the Good Samaritan, and we've been watching the life of Jesus, kind of like a documentary. Like we've been looking at the love of Jesus. We've talked about how Jesus reveals who God actually is to the world. We've seen his compassion. We've seen his honesty. And we wanted to end the, end the series asking the question, like, now what are you going to do with him? Like very personally, like, in your relationship with Jesus, where are you actually at? Because that's the question that we're actually going to get to at the end of this message tonight. You'll, what, one of the things that you'll see Jesus do, if you ever read throughout the stories and the Gospels, is that Jesus divides the world into two people, two people groups. Those who follow him and those who reject his message. And in, in love, he is, he's seeking worshipers, he's seeking people to reveal his love to. He's seeking people who will acknowledge him as the true creator, Lord of this universe. And we just want to answer that question, what, like, who are we apart from Christ? What is his salvation about? And what, what does he have for us in this next month? So I want you guys to open up your Bibles to John chapter 9. Um, we're actually going to be in the whole chapter. It, this whole chapter is, this, is Jesus, it's, and it's an incredible interaction with Jesus and a man who is born blind from birth. And um, I just want to tell you up front, <clears throat> whenever you read stories of Jesus, it's so easy to kind of like read the surface level reading, realizing that there's actually something, like there's something way deeper going on that the scriptures are trying to communicate. And that's what we're going to see in this passage tonight. We're going to see a picture of our sin. Uh, we're going to see who we are apart from Christ. We're going to see what his salvation has brought to us. And then we're going to see like what actually happens as a result of following Jesus so look with me, John chapter 9, verse 1. Uh, it says, as he went along, that is Jesus. So some context. Right before this in John chapter 8, Jesus, uh, he just revealed himself to the Jewish Pharisees who are like, kind of like the religious pastors of the day that he was the God of Israel. They didn't like that, so they pick up stones to go and stone him. Jesus is leaving the temple, and as he's leaving the temple, verse 1, he saw a man blind from birth. And remember, like Shannon talked about, about this over and over, like whenever Jesus loves people, he sees people, he's moved to compassion, and then he moves to action. So Jesus is running away from about to being stoned, but he stops because he sees a man who is blind from birth. Verse 2, his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So the, di the disciples just assume, like, oh, he's blind, therefore he must have sinned or his parents. Because there's kind of like this belief in this day that 
if there was like a, an ailment in your life or something was going poorly, it's because of some sort of sin. But Jesus goes, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. So Jesus is saying, listen, the result of like whatever is happening here, this happens so that the works of God would be displayed in his life. And this isn't the point of the sermon, but I do want to say this. Just because you're suffering does not mean it's because of the result of your sin, and it's the opportunity for God to work in your life. Verse 4, as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. So Jesus is saying, listen, the night is referring to his crucifixion. He's like, hey, it's day right now. We must do the works of God as long as it's day. Verse 5, while I am in the, light, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And then verse 6, after saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Very sanitary. Verse 7, go, he told him, the blind man, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seen. See, what we're going to see in this story is that it's, it's like, I, like I said, it's very easy to read the story and go like, oh yeah, Jesus healed a man who was blind from birth. He did this weird thing with mud and spit, put on his eyes, washed off, now he can see. But here's what the scriptures are trying to show us. <clears throat> the picture of this man in, in his blindness, in his broken condition, it's actually a physical picture of what the spiritual reality is of our lives. So his physical condition represents who we are spiritually apart from the saving and rescuing work of Jesus in our lives. Does that make sense? So here's, there's three things that we learn about, like apart from Christ, here's what we learn from this story. One, our sin prevents us from entering God's presence. One, our sin prevents us from entering God's presence. This man, because he was blind, was unable to actually go to the temple and worship. So there was this thing, if you had any ailment, any, like, if you were considered unclean in any sense, it actually prevented you from going into the temple, which was where the presence of God actually was. And here's the thing, our sin, it completely separates us from the life and the love of God. Adam and Eve in the garden, um, they, uh, they were created for fellowship with God. They, the, 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 the scriptures speak of, Adam and Eve walking and walking with God in the garden. It's this beautiful picture. And, and because of our sin and because of Adam and Eve's sin, God cast them out of the garden so they're outside of God's presence. And here, here's this blind man. He's sitting outside the temple. He's not allowed to enter because of a physical ailment which represents our sin that prevents us from interacting and having a right relationship with God. See, here's the thing. The scriptures teach that we were created and I really, guys, want you to understand, we were created by Jesus, for Jesus, to, be, to have fellowship with him in his presence. Which is why, when you are seeking in life, like, I don't know how many of you guys have asked this or had this experience, like, I'm just like, I know there's something more to life. Like, I know there's something more to life, but I don't know what it is. It's because we're separated from the life of God. We're separated from the life of God. One of the, the next thing that we see is because of our, our sin, it prevents us from seeing and seeking Jesus. In this story, the man was blind, so there's no way that he could see Jesus. Like, he couldn't see him, and there, because he couldn't see him, he wouldn't seek Jesus at all. And this is what the scriptures, that's a very, like, clear picture of, like, what happens to us and, like, how we're born as Christians. And you may not be a Christian in the, the room, and you have no idea what the Bible teaches about sin, but like I said, the sin, sin 
in us and the sin that we practice, it, it separates us from the presence of God and it also prevents us from seeing Jesus and actually wanting to pursue him. So 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says this. It says, The God of this age, referring to Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. So because of sin, like, we, like we're blind to Jesus. Like Jesus is in front of us. We can show up into a room like this. Like we can see like they're singing to this Jesus, but like I just don't see his beauty. Like, do you know that experience before you knew Jesus, the Christian in the room? Like, you, your friends talked about Jesus, you heard Jesus preach, but just like, I just couldn't see the beauty. It also prevents us from seeking him. Romans 3.3 3 says, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks after God. Have you ever tried to get something or get somebody to love something that they just don't? Like, you know, you know how frustrating that is? Like, Connor and I love Cafe Rio. Like, we think it's so much better than Chipotle. Elisheba cannot stand Cafe Rio. And week after week, week after week, we're like, Elisheba, like, how do you not get the Cafe Rio salad and the dressing that they have on it? It's like, Elisheba, don't you see how beautiful it is? She's like, there's just nothing that we can do. It's just like, no, it's, it's trash. I won't even finish my meal. See, but that's like, biblically speaking, guys, listen, it's a, it's a funny image. But scripture teaches because of sin, because of our fallen state, like, you, like we look at Jesus apart from the work of God in our lives and just like, it's just not beautiful. It's not attractive. There's nothing that we desire about him unless we have eyes to see. The third thing we see that sin does in our lives apart from Christ's work is that sin is beyond the help of ourselves and others. How many of you know that experience? The blind man in this story, there was nothing that he could do about his blindness. There's no amount of money that he could, that he could save up. There's no amount of like, help he could get. There's nothing that he could do. His condition was so bad, there's nothing that he could do. And that's what the scriptures teach about our sin, that there's nothing that we can do to fix our problem. Our culture loves to say, if you just be a good enough person, if you just work harder, if you're just smarter, like, but you guys know, like, I, I, have you guys had this experience? And I, I, I have had it multiple times. There was a season throughout my life, I would say my senior year of high school, where um, I, it's almost like my, I would say like my second conversion. Like I knew Jesus from a young age, but then God did something new in my life, like senior year of high school, freshman year of college. Because I remember like night after night, like crying, because I wanted to get out of my sin and I couldn't do anything about it. You guys know that experience? And if you're a Christian in the room, you know what I'm talking about. Like, when you have this desire, like, I really, like, I want to please Jesus, there's nothing I can do about it. Like, I've self-will, I've brought friends, like, I don't know what to do. And, and scriptures are teaching, like, apart from Jesus, like, you can't do anything about your sin. You can't do anything about the, the power it has in your lives. So Jesus... In, in, in revealing to us this blind man who's in sin from birth, he's, he's giving us, it's a picture of who we are apart from Christ before his saving work in our lives. But look at, look at verse 5. It says, Jesus says, while I am in the light of the world, so Jesus, he's, he's going up to the, the man who's born blind, and he's saying this, while I am in the light of the world, I am the light of, excuse me, while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. 
Then after saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. See, the blind man's physical healing in the story is a picture of how Christ brings his salvation to our lives. But we need to ask, we need to like, I need to tease this out a little bit because it's, it's a really, like if you just like read this, you're like, this is like really weird. Like Jesus is like spit on the ground. He's never done anything like that in any of the other stories. Like what's, like what's John trying to tell us in his gospel about Jesus? So here's, here's what you need to understand. When Jesus spits on the ground, he was actually like enacting this sort of like recreation. So in, in, the, um, in the very beginning of the Bible, when God made man, how did he do it? He got some dust, right? He created man out of the dust and created a, a, a human being. So what, what, what John is trying to show us and what Jesus is doing here, he's like, just how God in the very beginning of creation took the dust of the ground and created a human being in his image. So Jesus, spitting on the ground and making clay, is showing that he's bringing new creation and new power and new life to this man. And so what, what, what John is trying to show you is that when Jesus brings his salvation to you, he's recreating you to the human being that you were created to be. Now, how many of you know this or have this desire? Like, I just know, like, life isn't the way it's supposed to be. And then we, it's very easy to point the fingers like life's not the way it's supposed to be. But when we're, we're going to be really honest with ourselves, we know, like, I'm not the way I'm supposed to be. <laughs> like, there's something wrong, like, my anxiety like, where does this habit come from? And, and what John's showing you is, like, when Jesus enters your life and when he brings his salvation and his love to you, he's recreating you into the human that you were created to be. Like, it's a whole new life. A life, like, the way that, like, God actually created you and hardwired you to live. I always say this. With anything, you know this. If you try to use it, in the way that the designer made it not to be, you experience death, right? And you know, and what, our job as Christians, and what we see in ourselves and what we've come to see is like, we've known, have you ever tried to like live outside the ways of Jesus and you're saying like, I'm just, I'm more anxious than I've ever been. I'm more miserable, I'm experiencing shame. It's kind of like a fish who's living out of water and doesn't know it's out of water. And what Jesus does when he brings his salvation, he brings brand new life, like, a whole new you to you. So then Jesus says, so, so he puts saliva on, on, uh, on the man's eyes with the mud and he creates clay. And then he says, go to the pool called uh, Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seen. Why does John include this like reality of like the pool being called Siloam? It means, it's, then he says like the word means sent. Like what's happening here? So here's what's interesting about this pool. This pool was like constructed way back in the Old Testament when the kings were kind of ruling Israel. And this, um, there was a channel that went through this, through the temple. And the temple was where the presence of God was and it went to this pool. So you have this picture. So like you have this, this stream of water. It's going through the temple, the presence of God. And, it, and, it, and then it kind of all boils into this pool called Siloam, which, which means scent. And what, what John is trying to show us here is that Jesus, who said he was sent from the Father? Jesus, Bible answer, Sunday school answer. Jesus, what, what, Jesus is, what John is trying to show us here is that Jesus, 
being sent from the Father is the place that we're supposed to wash and find freedom and, and forgiveness of sins and healing. So the point of this whole thing that's kind of like word, wordy and you don't know what's going on, the point is that Jesus is telling us that if we want to escape the darkness in the world and the darkness in our lives, we must first wash ourselves in the blood of Christ shed at the cross. Like this beautiful, like at the cross, Jesus absorbed our sin and he absorbed the punishment for our sins so that we could have freedom, cleansing, and forgiveness. See, the cross of Jesus not only frees us from the punishment of our sin, but also the power of our sin. See, a lot of us, like, we, we want forgiveness of our sin, but we also want, like, like, freedom from the power of it. Like, I just don't want to be forgiven. Like, I want power to be made new. And that's exactly what John is trying to tell you with Jesus. He's saying, listen, Jesus is recreating you to the human you were created to be, and he's, he can wash you and cleanse you of all sin and unrighteousness. But here's the thing. We have to be obedient to go to the cross. The blind man, have you noticed? Like, so Jesus, he, he, he does the whole dust, mud, kind of spit, saliva thing, puts on his eyes, and, and then he says, go and wash in the pool called scent. And before he experienced healing, he had to go to the cross and listen to Jesus' voice. And what the, the, the invitation tonight from Jesus, from the story is, have you gone to the one who can cleanse you from your sin. Like, have you gone to Jesus? Christian, when's the last time you really went to Jesus with your stuff? Like, you really went to Jesus, like, Jesus, like, I can't get over this addiction. I can't get over this depression. I can't get over this anxiety. I need you to recreate me into the human being that you created me to be. I need to find healing. Jesus, would you heal me? Jesus, I need to be cleansed. Will you cleanse me? And I would say if you're an unbeliever in the room, don't you want that? Like, don't, isn't there something in you, like there's a restlessness that you have that just goes like, I, I want something more than this. Like, I, I know I'm not the way I'm supposed to be. The invitation of Jesus in this story is to come, and I'll give you new life, life to the full, and it's to come wash in, in the blood at the cross. Like, Complete freedom, like complete freedom, complete forgiveness, complete cleansing, and I will give you spiritual sight. See, um, here's, here's what happens now as a result. Like once, once you've experienced like this is who I am apart from Christ, this is the healing power of Christ in my life, look what happens as a result of our salvation. Uh, look at verse 8. <clears throat> so Jesus, so the, so the man went and washed and came home seeing. So he's been given sight. Verse 8, his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like the man. Could you imagine being the man? Just like, no, I, I swear it's me. They're like, no, it's not you. <laughs> um, others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your, your eyes open, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes he told me to go to Siloam and wash, so I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man? They asked him. And then he says, I don't know. See, Jesus' healing in this man's life was so radical and transformational that people couldn't even recognize who he was. And, and what that shows us is that when Jesus 
heals you, when Jesus recreates you to the human being that you were made to be, when he cleanses you of all your unrighteousness and of all your sin, he will transform you into the type of human being that others like go like, is that even the same person? How many of you have had a friend? Um, I, w- I was thinking about this uh, today. I have a friend that I went to high school with. And uh, in high school, so started getting into drugs, like when we talked about like kind of like the blindness to Jesus, just like totally, just like there's nothing about Jesus that was engaging to him, like at all. Went to college with him, I started, uh, <clears throat> I worked with him, and uh, same thing, like, but even like deeper into darkness, to a point where I'm just like, there's like, he just, like, there's nothing in his life that he wants to do, like with Jesus. Then literally over a course of a couple of years, um, we get reconnected through uh, a girl in my RC that he's now dating. And, and, and uh, she goes, I'm like, who's your boyfriend? And then she says, uh, his name. I'm like, wait, what? I was like, is he following Jesus? Why are you dating him? You know, kind of a thing. And I'm not kidding. He's shown up to my RC twice now. I was like, he is a whole new person. Like, God has, like, completely changed his life. Like, absolutely, completely changed his life. And I'm like, who could have done that? Like, who could have done that? And it's just like, and, and that's exactly what this story is trying to say. It's like, when Jesus gets a hold of somebody, like, he radically changes them to people, like, the, the, the people in the story that goes, like, are you even the same person? Like, that's, like, the same thing I'm asking internally. Like, you're not even the same person. Like, there's something that's happened to you that's so radical, that's so transformative, that it couldn't have been you. And it couldn't have been some, like, external, just, like, fix some things to get better. Jesus radically worked in his life. And, and this is what, this is the point I want you to get out of this. Jesus never saves someone that he doesn't also change. And that's good news. Like, Jesus never saves somebody that he doesn't also change. Like, and so here's some questions, honestly, that we need to ask of ourselves as followers of Jesus. One, have people seen change in your life since you came to know Christ? Like, have people actually seen the transforming work of Jesus in your life since you've came to know Christ? And you don't need some, like, wild story like the prodigal son where you, like, went and slept with prostitutes and all this whatever, you know, and they came back like, oh, my gosh. I know a lot of people growing up in the church, like, well, I don't have that story. But the simple question is, like, has the transforming work of Christ, like, taken place in you? The second question I'd ask is, for those of you who are Christians, are you still seeking to be changed into his likeness so people will see God's power in you? It's not like, have people seen change? Like, are you still seeking that change? Guys, and I'm telling you, it's so easy to coast as a Christian and just be like, yeah, I'm a Christian, of course I'm a Christian. Like, and I, then you just live your life. But like, the, the whole purpose is like Christ, if he's recreating you, he's conforming you into his image, into his likeness. Like, are you still seeking that, Christian? Are you still seeking that? And then I would say, if, if you're a non-believer, and you say, like, you say of yourself, I'm not a follower of Jesus, um, do you want to know someone who has the power to change you? Like, and, and you may not believe Jesus has the power, and I understand that. But I can tell you there are tons of people in this room, in my own experience, that I can tell you, like, Jesus has the power to actually do something in your life. He actually has the power to do something in your life. So here's the thing, and this is how I want to apply it. In this story, the man who was born blind, 
he not only had the privilege of telling people what happened to him, but he told people who healed him. You notice that? Sometimes it's very easy to go like, yeah, I was once this way, but I'm not that type of person anymore. When you start telling people, when, when people see change in your life as a follower of Jesus, and then they start asking questions like, are you even the same person? You go, yeah, it was Jesus. And you unash- you're unashamed of Jesus at your, in your neighborhood, at your school, with your coworkers. That's when people start asking the question, where can we find him? They go like, they're so dumbfounded by what happened in this guy's life. They're like, where can we find him? And we know the answer, and his name is Jesus. So the first thing that we see is that what, what takes place in an individual when, when the salvation, when the healing work of Christ f- follows and, and approaches and comes after you, we see that there's internal change and transformation. The second thing that we see take place in following Jesus is conflict. Read with me for verse 13. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud uh, and opened the man's eyes was the Sabbath. If you were here last week, just the easiest, easiest way to say this is the Pharisees did not like that Jesus did anything on the Sabbath. Verse 15, therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. I love this. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. One of the other reasons that Jesus probably made mud is the Pharisees made this rule that you can't work clay on the Sabbath, like you can't make clay. So it's like Jesus like, oh, I can't. Like, I'm going to spit in the ground, make clay, put it on this man's eyes, and I'm, that's how I'm going to heal somebody. So like, Jesus is absolutely interrupting the Pharisees. He's showing them who has authority. Verse 16, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Verse 17, they were, then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. So he just called him a man, the man Jesus. Now he's calling him a prophet, the prophet. Verse 18, they still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. So the parents go, is, is, this, is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you saw, you say was born blind? How is it that he can now see? Verse 20, we know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind, but how he can now see, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah, which is mean the, the king of Israel, would be put out of the synagogue. Thanks, mom and dad. Verse 24. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth. Ironically, he is giving glory to God by telling the truth. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. I love how simple that is. Like, I don't know how to answer your questions. All I know is I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already, and you did not listen. Why, do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? The Pharisees could not handle this. Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple or apprentice. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. And they're probably referring to the fact that they think Jesus was born outside of wedlock. So they're trying to call him a sinner at this point. Um, Verse 30. The man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. I love the, the character of this guy. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person 
who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. See, one of the things that we learned from this scene is that following Jesus inevitably brings conflict. And when they, when they say like, like they threw him out of the synagogue, it wasn't mean like get out of 710, you're not allowed to come back. It was like the synagogue life in the Jewish culture was like one big thing. So throwing him out of the synagogue, like legitimately it'd be better if you moved away from the area and went somewhere else. Like you were completely ostracized from the community. So his parents out of fear go, you, I don't know, we don't want to be a part of this. People don't even, like his neighbors are like, is it even you? And then the Pharisees throw him out of the synagogue. And, and here's, what we, here's what we learn from this. And guys, I, I really want you to understand this. <clears throat> like there is, and this is like the negative part of like, but I hope I bring out that it's actually beautiful. Like following Jesus will cost you. And, and some of you know this. Like so, following Jesus, it will cost you. And so I kind of want to speak to two people in the room because I was like, there are totally these two like different types of people in 710. There's the person who goes, one, honestly, following Jesus for me doesn't really like bring much conflict at all. Like I don't, that's not that it, my experience at all. The other person goes like, oh, I experience conflict for following Jesus like crazy. So let me speak to both people really quick. The first person who says, I don't really experience conflict from others for following Jesus. I just want to present maybe something that that might mean. Maybe it's a version of following Jesus that's more culture-defined and self-defined than Jesus-defined. And I'm telling you in America, like whatever the American version of Christianity is where it's just like, I believe some facts about this person, I go and live my life kind of however I want, I just try to be a little bit of a better person. Like maybe I won't sleep around with as many people. Maybe I'll be a little bit nicer. I won't like lie as much. And that's a little exaggerated. But maybe it's a version of following Jesus where it goes like, I don't really have to tell my like, unbelieving friends and coworkers about Jesus unless I want to. Like, maybe like, you don't experience cost of following Jesus because you don't talk about Jesus with anybody. Or maybe it's the type of following Jesus that like, doesn't require obedience. Like, oh, I just, uh, yeah, like, I'll go hang out with that group of people. I'm a Christian, but like, yeah, I'll still get drunk with them. Like, I'll still gossip with them. When they slander the boss or the teacher, I'll, I'll join them. So there's, like, there's actually like no like witness that's actually different from the world for following Jesus. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, in fact, everyone, notice it doesn't say some people, everyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Not might be, will be persecuted. And here's the, at some point, we will experience tension and conflict in our relationships. So we really, what we really need to do is we need to examine what version of following Jesus we're actually following. That's what I would say to that person in love and grace. To the person who you are, like I, like, I am that person. Like, I feel ostracized. Like, I feel like in my own family. Like, I talk to many of you. I know this is your experience, and this is what I want to tell you. There's two promises that Jesus tells us that we can, or that we learn from the story about when we experience conflict, here's what we can know. One, Jesus' grace will give you the words to say when under pressure. This man was, was not educated. He had no idea what was happening, really. <clears throat> and yet he, was, he outwitted the Pharisees the whole time. <laughs> like, to a point where, like, they infer- like literally, they, like, their only reaction was just to, like, get him out of the room because they, like, they literally couldn't. 
like answer what he was saying. And what we see in, the, in those moments where you're experiencing the tension for following Jesus, the promise is that Jesus will give you the words to say to be a faithful witness to your coworkers, to your neighbors, and to your family, and to your classmates. Jesus will be with you, and Jesus will give you the words to say. The, the second thing that we learn is that in conflict, and this is my favorite point, Jesus himself will become more clear to you. So in this story, did you notice? He first calls Jesus the man, and then when he, when, when he gets all the accusations of like the neighbors and the parents, he starts thinking more deeply about what happened and then comes to himself, like, he must be a prophet then. And then as you'll see in a second, then he comes to a fuller realization of Jesus that he's the son of man, which is essentially God, is God. And so what, what, what Jesus is, is showing us in this passage is that when you experience external conflict and pressure for following Jesus, it, slow, it causes you to slow down. And you know this if you've been in this experience. It causes you to slow down and re-examine Jesus and like who he is and what he's doing in your life. And in that moment, you get to have the gift of Jesus becoming more real to you. Philippians 1.29 says, For it has been granted to you, granted a gift, on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. I'm telling you, when you stand up for Jesus, when you witness for Jesus, when it costs you, like Jesus will become so, like he'll be so close and he'll be with you. He will not abandon you. He is with you in conflict. And, and so <clears throat> let's, let's finish the story and um, let's see what happens in this whole scene. And then we'll end it here. So verse 34, they threw him out of the synagogue, which means they threw him out of the life of the community. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had thrown, thrown him out and when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir, the man asked. Think about this. He hasn't even seen Jesus up to this point with his eyes. Who is he, sir, the man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. 37, Jesus said, you have, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Verse 38, then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. So I love this. Think about the picture of this. Jesus catches wind that he has been ostracized from the community. Jesus seeks him. Jesus is seeking you. Jesus seeks him, and then he reveals his full identity to him. Does that sound familiar to any of your stories? Jesus coming after you, reveals himself to you, and the man bows down and he worships Jesus. Listen, Jesus was a Jewish man. Jews knew that the only person ever to receive worship was God alone. So for Jesus to receive worship in this moment was acknowledging that he was divine, was acknowledging that he was God. See, what John is telling us in this moment is that how we respond to Jesus is the most important question in all of life. Listen, like, there's questions about college, future, career. How you respond to Jesus is the most important question in all of life. See, the presence of Jesus, it divides the world into those who come to the light, come to the light and allow it to change, transform, and direct their lives, and to those who resist the light, like the Pharisees, who chose to remain in darkness, even while in some cases claiming that they see everything. See, the neighbors in this story, they were too scared. No, they, excuse me, the neighbors, they just couldn't believe in Jesus. Like, they just couldn't acknowledge that this man was actually cha changed by Jesus. The Pharisees, Jesus was a threat to their agenda. 
Like they had a way of life. Like Jesus was a threat to that. And maybe that's how some of you feel. Like Jesus is just like, I know if I follow Jesus, it's gonna like completely like adjust everything. Like my whole life is gonna change. Maybe it feels like a threat. The parents, uh, they were just too scared to acknowledge Jesus for fear of what people might think. And maybe that's how you feel. Like if my family knew, if the people at my work knew that I wanted to follow Jesus. Like there's so many barriers to following Jesus. But what the blind man shows us is he just abandons everything and bows down in worship. He abandons everything. And the cost on him is massive. But Jesus seeks him out and says, do you believe? And the same question that Jesus asked that blind man is the same question that he's asking every single one of you in the room. Unbeliever and believer, like, do you believe in Jesus? And I'm not just talking about like our culture's belief, like where you just believe some facts. But belief is like this whole idea of like trusting in something to the point where it alters your whole way of life. So 710, I'd ask you, do you believe in Jesus? What are you going to do with Jesus? I don't want you to walk out of this room without answering that question. And the last thing I say before I'm going to pray is it's not like, yes, I believe in Jesus, no, I don't, and maybe. To not make a decision about Jesus is to make a decision about Jesus. When Jesus presents you, presents to you his salvation, he, he, he acknowledges the brokenness in you, the sin in you, the rebellion, the hostility, and he brings his healing power and says, listen, like, I can heal you. Like, you don't have to remain in darkness. And you go, I'll think about it. That's a decision. So let me ask you again, do you believe in Jesus? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, Jesus, we, we, we acknowledge that you are the Lord of all creation, that you are worthy of our worship, just as the man who was blind, who you gave sight, bowed down and worship. So, Jesus, we bow down and worship you. Um, Lord, we ask that you would, just your Holy Spirit would fall in this room, God, that you would meet each heart and each person where they are in this moment, that you would reveal your love and your grace and your mercy. And it's in your name that I pray, amen. We're going to enter a moment, just 30 seconds to a couple minutes of just individual prayer. And um, while, the, while the band gets ready to, to sing and to lead us in worship, I, just, I, I want you to sit with that question. And Elisha, I don't know if you, if you mind putting that verse up on the screen. Um, verse 35, where Jesus asked the man, do you believe in the Son of Man? And I just want you to look at those words, and I want you to picture yourself as the man who was born blind, who we are. And I want, you to, I want you to think and process and picture Jesus asking you that question. Picture his face, picture him looking at you, the love and the compassion and the kindness. And then have a moment with Jesus, process that question with him. How would you respond to him? Jesus can handle your doubts. Jesus can handle your struggles doesn't matter how big of a sinner or how far you think you're gone. Jesus' grace is way more powerful. His forgiveness is way bigger than anything that you can make of your life. Just picture and ask, ask that question. Do you believe in the Son of Man? And pray in Jesus and process that with him. So take a couple of seconds, spend some time praying, and then we'll sing to our Lord together.